Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland Area Attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. In this episode of Ask the Politics Guys, we're going to answer a couple of election-related questions we've gotten from listeners in recent weeks. Okay, first is a question from Alex from Sandy, Utah. Uh, I should also mention that Alex is one of our uh, great monthly contributing supporters, and we really appreciate that. Okay. Thank you, Alex. Yep. Thank you very much, Alex. Um, okay, here's Alex's question. Do you think that ranked choice voting is a system that would work on the federal level? Is it something that the nation should consider using universally? And what are the pros and cons? And finally, do you believe it would help break us out of our two-party system? And if so, is that a good thing or a bad thing? So there's a lot, I think, great questions in there. But I wanted to start off with just a, a brief explanation for listeners about what ranked choice voting is um, before we get into that, Jay. Sound, does, sound? Yeah, please. Okay. So ranked choice voting is sometimes called instant runoff voting. And here's how it works. Voters will rank their top picks uh, often from one to five, though it doesn't have to be five necessarily. Uh, now, if one candidate gets a majority, then there, there's your winner. But if no candidate gets an outright majority, the candidate picked first by the fewest people is eliminated with the eliminated candidate candidates' votes going to the candidates those people picked second. So it continues that way until one candidate actually does have a majority. So let me give you an example. If you were, say, a particularly liberal voter in 2016, you might have ranked Jill Stein first, Hillary Clinton second, Gary Johnson third, and Donald Trump last. Well, when Jill Stein was eliminated in the first round, which she would have been, your vote then would have gone to Hillary Clinton. So that's more or less what ranked choice voting is and how it works. So what do you think about this, Jay? I, I mean, the fact that it took you that long and you did, that was a really quick and concise explanation. Um, but it's, that makes it really complicated. And I think uh, the complications uh, tend to breed um, distrust. Uh, it, it would tend to breed also the potential for, you know, and again, presidential elections are different than most other elections. Um, but consider a congressional election with with that. And you could have, you know, all these various different candidates uh, in the mix. Um, you know, I, I think it's just a, a recipe for more confusion uh, uh, arguments about, you know, are the votes being counted correctly? Should they have, you know, is everyone getting the, the correct, um, tallies from the, the people that they, uh, did. And it just seemed administratively would, would seem to be a huge, huge issue of keeping track of not everyone's first choice, but second, third, and fourth. Um, you also get the sort of the problem or some say may opportunity, of of fringe part more fringe parties jumping in, um, uh, simply because they can be then sort of a um, either a, a spoiler for for others. Um, so I, I'm I'm not I'm not a fan of it. Uh, again, I understand the the impulse, um, but, but uh, I I like the idea of of a more not necessarily binary, but but um, 
you know, you you know what you vote once, and and that's that's who you vote for. Well, I disagree entirely, Jay. Um, I course, I course. really like it because I think it does a couple of really good things. First off, it allows people to vote for their preferred candidate without actually worrying that they're going to be a spoiler. You know, that means a lot of uh, liberals, for instance, in Florida in 2000 voted for Ralph Nader and uh, that. Uh, looks like that actually threw the election to George W. Bush with what I would argue were disastrous consequences. And so that's the great thing. If you wanted to vote for Jill Stein and Jill Stein's going to get eliminated, which she did, then that vote automatically goes to Hillary Clinton if she's her second choice. So I think that actually is a not a not a bug, but a feature, and it allows minor party candidates to get more support and to get those views out there. And I, I feel really good about that. But secondly, and I think this is much more important, it ensures that the ultimate winner of the election is the person that has the most true support, as, as opposed to our current system where someone can, can and often does win by being the choice of a plurality, less than half of the voting public. And so I think it's a lot more democratic. I, I understand what you're saying about the complication. And yes, there have been some studies that have suggested it might lower turnout somewhat, though they're kind of equivocal. And there are a number of jurisdictions that use this in the United States at the, at the city level. Maine just passed a, a, a law in the recent election. And Alex mentioned this in his question, actually, that uh, that they're, do, they're going to be doing this for their congressional elections. I really like it. And I think that nowadays we have the voting technology to make this a lot simpler to do from a technological perspective where even 20 years ago it would be a lot more difficult and ultimately it allows the people's choice to come out much more clearly and so I think it's a great thing it seems to be slowly spreading and I'd like to see a lot more of it for those reasons Ooh, I you know I'm, I'm thinking in terms of real world campaigning um, if if I'm you know, doing running a campaign for a a candidate, let's say a congressional candidate uh, who is a Green Party candidate. Do am I? I mean, what what are the? I see is, what you're saying. Is, is there is there or let's let's put it this way. Say I'm running for the the Hillary Clinton mainstream Democrat uh, candidate. Uh, is it to my advantage to also go out and find myself a far left Green candidate who I know can't win? but might pull in enough secondary votes for me um, by having that person on the ballot. Well, no, maybe. I see what is, you're is saying. That, but, but what is that, is that, does that, um, but that's possible, you know, but the, the integrity of, of the process, but, maybe it's not in a matter of integrity, but as another layer of gamesmanship. Well, it. I suppose people could do that, but that's, that's, that's uh, uh, awfully complex. But what, what the research has suggested that happens much more commonly is that, Candidates moderate their views because polarizing people ends up actually hurting you because you might be the first choice of a very vocal plurality, but you're the last choice of everyone else because you've basically denigrated all your opponents. And so it kind of brings people more to the center. And a lot of folks have, who've argued for this have pointed out that, for instance, the sort of strategy that Donald Trump used to win the Republican nomination would have been a quite possibly a disastrous strategy with ranked choice voting because he Donald Trump was almost nobody's second choice. He was like, you know, he was a number of people. Well, no, he, he, he would have been mine. Well, you're, you're, you're an unusual person then Jay, True. because he would, I, I have, I find it hard to believe that he would have been your second choice. If, if Kasich would be your first choice, you're not telling me that Rubio would have been your second choice. Well, I guess, I mean, I, I guess if I'm thinking in a, a, 
Yeah, if, if this if is after, what I'm saying. No, Ru- yeah, Rubio. Yeah, someone, someone other than Trump would likely have been my second. There were likely to have been sixteen other people. And this uh, is my who point. Might have been my second choice before Trump. And this but. is my point. And so the, one of the uh, another one I think of the great things about this is it tends to make candidates more moderate because they they want to be sure they want to get a lot of first place ballots, but they also want to make sure that they're on enough second place ballots so that they can kind of continue on if they don't have, if there's no majority. And so I really think there are a lot of good features. And, and okay, the, the conservative, small, small C conservative in me would not, if I could wave a magic wand, make this the system for everyone all the time right now. But I like the idea of experiments like we see that Maine just passed, and I'm going to be watching that very carefully. I think we're going to see some positive results, and I would like to see this slowly spread throughout the system if it it gives us the kind of results I think it will, and I hope I hope that'll happen, But but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, look, it's. I think it's it's an interesting idea. I like experiments, um, but uh, I'm. I would still say I'm. I'm highly skeptical um, of of how this plays out. And my concern, like I said, is is the the gamesmanship it adds, um, the 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 money thing. That's another that that is curious. The money thing. Uh, how does how does that play out? I mean, what do you mean? Well, say, I mean, I. I I, I donate uh, a lot of money to a Green Party candidate uh, uh, who runs, and then the fact that my donation essentially ends up uh, not helping that candidate, perhaps, but but the next second choice to that candidate. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, these are just questions I'm asking. Of, of I'm wondering how how it will affect contributions. Well, uh, I think for my for for third parties, it'll actually help raise contributions because a lot more people are going to be a lot more willing to vote for these candidates because all of a sudden this basically throws out the throwing away your vote uh, argument that's held yeah. back third parties. So if if you're the sort of person who believes that Democrats and Republicans are not sufficiently responsive to your views, you're going to like this because it's going to mean life's going to be a lot easier for uh parties that aren't the Democrats or the Republicans. And certainly this is something that the establishment is not going to like because the system has been set up by the establishment and is set up to favor uh, Democrats and Republicans. And so, mm. I, you know, I think that this certainly might have some trouble getting traction on a on a wide basis. Maine's a little different in a lot of ways. Uh, they have a lot more a lot more of a history of kind of independent voting and so forth. Sure. But in places that are much more dominated by standard issue, Democrats and Republicans, it's going to be hard to see this kind of uh, move out to those places, though I, I certainly hope that I, I certainly hope that it would. But we'll see. Say, say, for example, and I don't want to want to belabor <laughs> the point, but let, let me just turn it the other way, because I, sure. I think you might might view it differently. Uh, somewhere in uh, in rural Alabama uh, or, or it could be rural anywhere. Uh, there is there are two Republicans uh Running for for governor, uh, one will run under the the banner of the guns rights party. Um, the other is a perhaps a more typical chamber of commerce uh, type Republican. Um, what would happen if the chamber of commerce Republican directed contributions to the guns rights uh, candidate uh, who? They knew couldn't win statewide, 
but could certainly pull in uh, certain counties and would bring make sure that that Chamber of Commerce type guy was the second choice. Um, again, is that a is that a perversion of, of the system? I, I think I see what you're what what you're kind of getting at. Although I don't know that it would it would allow it would allow. I would say it would benefit the the uh, the major party two party system because they would be able to run sort of shadow candidates. I, I don't know that it would work uh, that way. Who could, I, who could appeal to the who could appeal to the the parts of the the party that maybe they can't or didn't want to appeal to. Yeah, uh, for I, example, if someone could run in the cities. You know, you could have the main candidate, the mainstream candidate, run in the cities as a look. I'm I'm for uh, moderate gun control. Uh, I'm you know I see you know the reasons for for some um, uh, barriers to, to ownership, and you could have someone uh, out in the more rural areas take a completely different position and still have that position. Well, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I think. I, I think I think you're 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 trying really hard to find objections to this. Certainly, uh, all, all I'll say no, is that while I'm, that's I'm looking at it from a real world thing of if I'm a campaign manager, if I'm a can- candidate, how to, or if I'm a party. Well, well, let me say this. You're talking theoretically, and and based on the research yeah. that I've seen from actual when this has actually been put into place, what we the biggest effect we tend to see is more of a moderating effect. So we're not seeing this in in practice. Which, and which so as benefits, a exactly, but that proved my point. No, which it, benefits just who? Well, I'm saying the moderation it, would it, benefit. I would say everyone. Well. But it it benefits the mainstream party. It's it doesn't bring in those outside views. What it does it's is solidifies the the status quo. Well, it that's it, that's the point. It I was depends on. Oh, I see what you're saying. It depends on what you mean by the status quo. I mean, I would argue that in a lot of congressional races, the status quo is increased polarization. And so, if we want to change that. If we want to try to take some steps to make our Congress a little less dysfunctional, a little less polarized, well, this is maybe a step in that direction, certainly. But uh, all right, but- that would that would work if you had someone who would say, "Okay, I'm going to vote for. I want to vote for the um, conservative Republican first, and if that person doesn't win, then maybe the more conservative Democrat uh, of the two, as opposed to the far right conservative." Right, I think I think I followed that. Yeah, I yeah. mean, obviously, there's a lot of math. In, that, that's again my point. There's a lot of math involved, and this is that makes it tough. So, sure, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 like with any change, and you're you're pointing out some reasonable objections, and which is why I think both of us agree that any kind of significant change is best to be tried out on a small basis, so we can kind of see what sure. happens it, before we roll anything out. And I think the main difference that that you and I have is and uh, how optimistic we are about whether or not this would be a, a positive thing. Safe yeah, to say. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the Electoral College. Uh, next question we have is on the Electoral College, and here's the question. Uh-oh. In two of our last five presidential elections, the winner got fewer overall votes than the loser, Al Gore in 2000 and Hillary Clinton in 2016. Isn't it time that we abandoned a system that's been misfiring like this, Jay? Um, No. No, of course not. Of course, a Republican would say uh, that because when it's when it's misfired, yeah. it's misfired in favor of your party, the party of the minority. True, True. but again, the misfires have been have been relatively few and far between. If you look at two out our, of five, our, our his 
No, I mean, that if, if you're just looking at the last five elections, uh, if you look across the board in American history, I think it's, um, what, one out of 20 or something. Right, but would you say that the trend is troubling? Um, I don't know if you want to call two elections a trend. No, I mean, two out of five, I'm saying, out of the right. last five. What I mean, two out of five, is that is that a trend? I, I would say that, you know, you need more data to say there's there's a trend there. Um, and look, look, it's that that is something that clearly the entire point of the Electoral College concedes that you could have a someone who wins the popular vote but does not become president. Um, you know, there was it's kind of funny then that if you remember back in the 80s and 90s, there was always the argument put forth that we ought to eliminate the Electoral College because it's meaningless, uh, because the popular vote winner uh, always wins the Electoral College. And now it's sort of the other argument is we need to eliminate it because it's meaningful. Um, you know, I, I'm the, the the founders were completely content with the idea that the popular vote and the electoral vote would be different uh, on occasion. And I, I, I'm OK with that, too. And and I think there there is I mean, there, you and I are often critical of of the idea of direct democracy uh, and it's it's one of those that's kind of difficult and, and not very trendy to to say that these days. Um, but uh, well, look, I'm, sometimes the people the people get it wrong. Uh, and also, there's there's a certain function that the electoral college uh, provides in seeing that uh, the the states. And again, this we are a a collection of of states that have joined together to form a, a federal union. Uh, are are represented and are not dominated by one or two states, which is really the the concern that the founders had. Well, sure, and and I think there's something to be said for that. But also, we should point out that the spread between the smaller and the larger states was a lot less than it is today. And and now you take a, a situation where basically, if you're in say California or New York, that your votes counts for significantly less than say if you're in Montana or Nebraska or something like that. And you know, I I agree. You no, know, again, I differ with you on the math on that. Well, that, you can differ on the math, but you're wrong on the math. It's just it's just the fact no, that's how no. the math works out but uh, and that's that's what the system was designed to do in part and i would argue that yeah maybe the the the, the framers had a point but it now it's no longer 1789 it's a very different world that we live in and i think you know that the, the reasons for behind that we need to you know take another take another look at those and now that's not going to happen well, in the sense we're not going to do away with the electoral college that would take a constitutional amendment and we're not going to have a constitutional amendment that would take two-thirds of Congress agreeing to uh, approve that. And that certainly wouldn't happen given that this has benefited Republicans. Then it would take three-fourths of the state legislatures. And given that those state legislatures are dominated by Republicans, that's not going to happen. Another option, though, is something called the National Popular Vote Initiative. Have you heard of this, Jay? Yeah, I have. Not okay. A fan. Well, it's basically let me let me explain it to, to listeners. It's basically a way of bypassing the electoral college in a sense where a state or, or would bypassing the constitution. You might no, say. it's not bypassing the constitution. States under the constitution can award their electors however they want, and so this is a system where states would pass into state law a system where they would award all of their electors to the winner of the popular vote. Perfectly constitutionally fine. In fact, a number of states have done it, uh, 11 states uh, with 165 total electoral votes. And if 
they could get enough states, well, states with at least 270 electoral votes to pass this, that would in effect bypass the uh, electoral college. There's a movement to do this, and in fact, on the on the podcast, I'm going to be interviewing someone from the group that's been spearheading this in, in a couple of weeks here, and so that should be uh, a pretty interesting interview. I think it's a really kind of clever way of kind of getting around this, this constitutional, what some people would call a bottleneck, and uh, I, I think there's... I think there's something to be said for it. Though again, it's, it would be It's only be, a bottleneck when you lose though, isn't it? I mean, that's It's only yeah. about yeah, well, it's only a bottleneck when it doesn't reflect the will of the people. I mean, there's that little fact that I think you're kind of people. not looking at. You know, I think that's yeah. important. Um but but the point being is I think that's going to be a super heavy haul too because of the 11 states that have passed it mostly democratic states understandably so. It's going to be really difficult to get over that hump to 270 and that's one of the things I'm going to talk about with the person who's uh, who's behind this uh, you know and so but it's a, it's certainly a heck of a lot easier than amending the constitution that's for sure so again this is an idea who I think you can make a reasonable case it's time has come uh, you and I differ on that certainly but I I would like to see this uh, maybe become more of a thing moving forward, and I'm inter- going to be interested to see how the uh, National Popular Vote Project is trying to move that forward. Why? Why? Why would it be better? I guess because it would more fully reflect the will of the people. Uh, more than two and a half million people more voted for Hillary Clinton than voted for Donald Trump, and yet Donald Trump is going to be the next president of the United States. Doesn't that trouble you even a little bit? I, I suppose a little bit. Oh, again, that's good. It's, it's, it's constrained within what we have our 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 federal system, and and you're starting from the point, the idea that uh, president the president was intended to be elected by the popular vote, which which is not the case. No, I'm not disagreeing not, with you. There. The, was not the case, and is not the case. Um, you know, I, I guess you know. Going back to my my comment about the math, I just want to put this out there. the The case against the electoral college is if you have a voter who is a a Democrat in California, uh, their vote counts for less uh, than than someone else because it's sort of rolled into the the larger piece of of what is California. Um, so those those voters, California uh, Democrat voters, to some extent. I, exercise a little bit of uh, more influence because they're in a bigger state. Now, you might say, well, they have less individual influence because they're in a more popular state and their vote is, is diluted um, amongst their 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 colleagues. But, um, you know, it, it's it's a balancing mechanism and I it, it's there for for a purpose. And, you know, as, as Trump said, what is that uh, purpose? Hold on. Uh, before you get into that, so yeah. just to be clear for everyone, the number of electors that every state has is equal to the size of their congressional delegation, which means the number of people they have in the House and the Senate. Now, the Senate, of course, every state has two senators, and that means a state that's huge like California has two and a tiny state like Montana has two. And that's what I mean by the disproportionate influence of the smaller states, which right now tends to benefit. That's exactly, that's exactly why the framers set up a House and a Senate. Which I'm, I'm not arguing that the framers did it that way. And I'm, I'm, I'm arguing that maybe it doesn't make sense anymore. That's a different yeah. argument. I mean, I'm saying that saying, well, it's it's good because the framers set it up. That's not an argument. It's a statement of fact, yes, but that's not a case to be made for doing it that way. 
Oh, I think very much so because because look, if, if we're going to proceed on the idea that the 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 big idea uh, underlying the U.S. Constitution uh, is federalism, uh, and and the the idea that started this country was, uh, look, uh, we don't want to be self government, more localized government is better, more efficient, more responsive than a single national federal government that controls everything. And federalism makes good policy sense because it lets different people in different places uh, govern themselves differently. And and I, I think that's, that's a, a very good thing, a very positive thing. And the, the push, the continuing push towards just one, that the idea that we're just one big federal government, uh, one, one single unitary uh, country, uh, is is wrong-headed, and um, uh, I, I think if you look at uh, again, you, we talked a little bit of, a couple minutes ago about moderating. Um, think of the idea if only candidates ran in New York, California, Florida, uh, and Texas. Uh, how would that uh, reflect the views of the ma- vast uh, rest of the country? Um, so I you, think you think that geography is more important than population, that yes, that region yes. should be – see, I, I – yeah, okay, yes, well, I, I think – okay, I see where we're at here, and I get where you're coming from, and I think the reason why we're disagreeing is that we just sort of have a, a fundamental – we're starting off from different first principles, essentially. I, I right. get what you're yeah. saying, and I just think you're wrong, and you – I'm sure you get what I'm saying, and you just think that, oh, that I'm yes. wrong about that first principle, and I am not anti-federalism. I – I believe that states should have control over a lot of things without federal interference. I think, you know, marijuana laws are a great example of that, for instance, and a lot of my friends on the left will agree with me on that, certainly. But I think you can have that federalism and have a national legislature that is not bound by these principles that I think in part were designed simply to get these smaller states into the union in the first place. I mean, you know, people tend to look at the Constitution as this sort of divinely inspired perfect document made by these demigods and so forth and 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 yeah there are some st- there's some stuff in it that's great that's awesome but a lot of it i think was just you know essentially political compromises made to get everyone to the table like with any document and so i i think we need to you know take a step back before we just reflexively genuflect to this thing wow yeah um you know, I, I I guess again, this is just something we'll have to to agree to disagree on, um, and I I think in terms of these these bigger issues of um, uh, how we how we structure our system and how people are governed, I mean, two hundred years ago isn't isn't as long ago as you might think. Yeah. And, and there's a big there's a big principle of of conservatism is that uh, human nature has no history. Um. And, and so when you set up a system that's based on uh, concerns of, of one faction, one state, one region trying to uh, to dominate others, uh, those tensions are going to still exist uh, always and for all time. 
Well, I see what you're saying. And that's and why that's why I like the Constitution. Gotcha. Well, I, I, I see what you're saying, and I profoundly disagree. And one day, I think it would be fascinating for us to do an Ask the Politics Guys on uh, on this and the relevance why of the Constitution. The Constitution. Uh, I just do not bow down before it as if it's handed down like the Ten Commandments or something. But anyway. Um, you don't like the Ten Commandments either. I'm a, I'm a big fan <laughs> of some of them, actually. You know, others I'm a little more questionable. Anyway. On that biblical note, I think that pretty much does it for this episode of Ask the Politics, guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any questions for future episodes or just any thoughts, comments, or criticisms, we would love to hear from you. Our email is mail at politicsguys.com. And our Facebook page, where we post throughout the week, is facebook.com slash politicsguys. We're also on Twitter at politics guys we'd really appreciate it, of course if you could subscribe to the show and leave a review on itunes stitcher or whatever podcast service you use and sharing and retweeting our new show posts and tweets also really does help out a lot finally if you'd like to support the show financially you can do that through the paypal or patreon links on our website we'll be back with a new show next week we hope you'll join us <laughs>